Hello, I'm Martin Willis, your host, and welcome to the show, Podcast UFO, and weekly show. Uh, I have a lot of uh, great fans from over the years, and I want to thank you all for uh, watching the show, and I want to thank the people that support the show, and whether you're supporting me or not, I, I do thank you. And our blog this week is, there is no blog. Uh, Charles is uh, in a play opening this week, so he wasn't able to put out a blog. So uh, there's still plenty to read over at podcastufo.com where we have new blogs generally every single week. And uh, they turn into an audio blog, an audio podcast that comes out. Uh, roughly once a week or so, we'll get those out. And uh, Crossfire this week, UAP Crossfire it has been canceled. This uh, I've been moving from one place to another, and there's a lot going on with everyone. So we can't run the show this week, but we'll be back next week. And soon we will have, um, I believe, hopefully Danny Sheehan on with uh, uh, also with uh, Kevin Wright um, on the advocacy. advocacy uh, I can't remember his the name of his group, um, but it's uh, U UAP Transparency. It's basically the uh, subtitle of it. They'll both be on Crossfire coming up soon. So uh, keep in mind that's every Thursday night, generally speaking, except for this week. So our guest tonight, Jim Lowe, he has done a lot of research um, into what it would be like to have a UFO briefing book, a guide for Congress or someone if uh, they were looking into this topic in a serious way. And he had some UFO encounters when he was young. And I'm going to bring him in now. And welcome to the show, Jim. Uh, thank you very much, Martin. And as uh, as uh, the watcher of YouTube can see, you're in sunny weather out in California, which is a nice area to be. Not yeah. always. You didn't get caught up in the flood, you were saying. That's that's great. No, no. Yeah. I was, uh, I'm in an area in the mountains that normally gets the flooding, but the coast got it this time. Ah, all right. That's good. So, uh, so thank you for, uh, you actually reached out to me. You had written this book. I think it's an interesting book. And, uh, uh, what I, I guess I want to ask you, uh, what inspired you to write this in the beginning? Um, well, I'm, I'm a retired attorney and for 25 years I was going to retire and write an election law book. And wow. then on my 65th birthday, uh, December 17th, uh, 2007, December 16, 2017, uh, the Politico and the New York Times came out with the three videos. Wow, that and was that, on your birthday? Yeah, 65th birthday. Now I'll always so, remember your birthday because I remember that it, date. <laughs> <laughs> uh, me and Beethoven. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it made me think about what I was doing. Uh, having practiced government law for close to 40 years, uh, I kept my experiences pretty much to myself because representing politicians, it's not the best thing to do to talk about UFO uh, encounters. Uh, it could be used against you in the courtroom. So uh, having practiced election law and, and represented uh, local and, and regional governments, I'd always lean that way, but my interest has always been something I'd been uh, kept to myself. And then 
when that came out, I I saw that as a trigger, which it it certainly did trigger things uh, into uh, you know the possibility of disclosure, and having worked with hundreds of elected officials over the years, I I know what what they go through and what they perceive of the world around them and jumping off into a uh, issue like UFOs, it happened to Dennis Kucinich, you know, back in, I oh, think, yes. 1992, and I it killed that. his political career. Yeah, that's and, right. Yep. And so I saw this as a way to sort of educate elected officials primarily. And so I wrote the UFO briefing book, A Congressional Guide to the UAP Phenomena, uh, back in... 2021, uh, six months, I issued, got it published four months before the, uh, uh, oh, the uh, Director of National Intelligence issued their first preliminary assessment. And what I wanted to do is predict what they were going to say and then explain to members of Congress what would happen if they followed certain rules or procedures that would help them sort of peel back the onion, so to speak. And so mm -hmm. I, I was writing one book um, on UFOs at the time and I dropped it and picked up this book and wrote it in six months and, and put it out. Uh, wow. Most of the copies that I, I didn't, I didn't market it. I went on two podcasts and figured this is a waste of time, and because uh, uh, at the time it wasn't it wasn't as big an issue, you know the UFO community was well aware of what's going on, but the general public didn't, and so I what I did was I put something together that would be more aimed at elected officials and and what they can do within their role, and I distributed over two hundred copies to members of the national security committees in Congress. And from the feedback I've gotten, uh, it was well-received. And uh, mm. Harry Reid sent me a personal note. He was retired at the time, uh, saying that it was done well and that he was happy for my interest in this vital subject. And uh, so while I was writing, I was sending them the books, I wasn't getting a response. And I don't live in Washington or play the, you know, play along Washington, you know, the typical, uh, you've had people on that deal in Washington. But mm. I was looking at it as an outsider from the political perspective, how they would go about this. And so I predicted that the, the intelligence and the military would slow walk anything. They would be like pulling teeth and that uh, they'd have to boost the protections for whistleblowers, uh, put together doc, doc, uh, legislation to allow uh, the release of uh, uh, NDAs, non-disclosure agreements. Um, mm -hmm. I have a friend, Robert Salas, Robert Salas, oh, yeah. who... Uh, was forced to sign one of those agreements and has never seen a copy of it. Mm. And so, you know, it, 
so I, I, I started down that road and made some recommendations. And so far, most of the recommendations I put together have been put into law. Now, whether that's coincidence or not, I don't know. But I know I was along that path. So I have a new book out now, Threat to the Body Politic from Foo Fighters to UAP. And that's also available at bookstores and Amazon. Um, and in that book, I, I try to go back to the beginnings of what the, the not the not the UFO policy is, whether they're real or not, because lots of people have done that. And I went back and looked at how the process began that led to the stigma that we all feel about the subject. And I, I centered on the Robertson panel in 1953. Yeah. Yep. And there's been a lot written on the Robertson panel, but mostly saying that they got the UFO issue wrong. And I ignored that part of it pretty much and looked at what they did that sort of start the debunking process. And so I traced through declassified records and stories, mostly from government officials, either state, local, or federal, uh, how they were um, cast and treated very unfairly. Now, your typical person who saw a UFO back then uh, was usually just lights in the sky. But when you had someone like uh, Rex Heflin in 1965, who saw a structured craft very close, took three Polaroids at a time when trying to fake a Polaroid was near impossible for a traffic engineer, uh, let alone someone in Hollywood, that you know the way he was approached, the way they stole his photographs, I found a pattern of these kinds of things in the records. Uh, many of the records were like I found civil rights violations in the FBI records committed by the Air Force. The FBI didn't have records about their violations. Those I found in CIA records. And so a lot of cross-checking of records, I was able to come up with a, a, a series of, they couldn't be coincidences. There were just so many times where they people would approach the government, say, I've got the, there's the famous picture. I've been on that street looking that direction. There's a big oh, shopping yeah. mall there now. <laughs> but uh I don't doubt yeah, it. The, yeah. Yeah, it's like everything else in California, it's a mall. <laughs> yeah. This is and, the one right outside of his pickup truck window. Yeah. The first first Polaroid, I believe. And exactly. the last one I don't the last one I don't see it it shows like a streak of smoke if I remember right. Yep, and a smoke ring that he never showed smoke around. Ring, yeah. Yeah. Yep. He had a smoke ring and his his co-workers laughed at it. So he never showed it around. So when the quote-unquote NORAD uh, officers show up and he gave his photographs to them, um, they disappeared for 22 years and they returned them to him when he was dying of cancer in retirement. And so someone had to hold on to those photographs for 22 years, 27 years almost, um, actually. Um, and... So I found a pattern of these kinds of things where your typical person was who took a picture of a 
UFO uh, that showed a structured craft, not lights in the sky, but, you know, the type of pictures that would not be considered swamp gas, you know, there, yeah. there it wouldn't be an explanation for that. They would take these pictures and most of them, they had no interest in the UFO subject before they took the pictures. Each one of them approached the government to say, I've got these. Do you want them? And I want them back. And they take them and steal them, never give them back. And in Rex Heflin's case, they claimed he was a hoaxer. How many hoaxers right. turn over their originals to the government? Yeah, that's you right. Know. This and is the so, smoke. That's yep, just the smoke oh. uh, ring. So, uh, yes, and they're in this. They For years, they were in the safe. I'm trying to remember as a female ufologist. Uh, really well-known in California. I can't remember her name. I spoke with her daughter. Her daughter was on my show. Uh, anyway, they were in, they're in their safe. They're in the safe in their house. Oh, really? Those, okay. Those images, yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm drawing a blank on her name too, but uh, yeah. She's she wrote, really well-known. She passed away, I think, maybe five or six years ago. Very yeah, well-known. She wrote the book uh, Firestorm about- All right, I'm going to look her up just because I want to- pay good tribute to her. Um, but anyway, um, so let's talk about you. You had, um, you had, uh, a, you, some UFO sightings yourself, right? Oh yes. I, I'm what is generically called an experiencer. And so I've had experiences pretty much my whole life. And, First one I remember, I was five and a half years old. It was the weekend before kindergarten started. And I was out in the country with my dad and my aunt and uncle and their family camping. And and I was I was five and a half, and the next youngest person was about 13. So there was a big gap between everyone. And I was very hyperactive. And so they, they told me, you know, why don't you just look up at the sky and, and look for Sputnik, you know, to keep me busy. And while they were sitting on the campfire, drinking and telling stories. or, um, And I looked off to a cow pasture that was about 500 to 1,000 feet away from us. And I saw this object that was probably the size of a full moon and it was dripping metal off of it. It looked like it was, and it was shooting off sparks. In fact, I talked to uh, Colonel Halt about it because it looked remarkably like the one at Rambleshin Forest. Right. And he said it looked like an eyeball and it was dripping magna. Magma. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and this was late summer and the cow pasture was dry. And so whatever it was, it it didn't, you know, it didn't catch fire. So I remember looking, looking at it and then looking back at my family and they were all just staring with their mouths open, dumbfounded. Later on, I, I sort of compared it to a deep Steven Spielberg movie where they always had normal people just looking perplexed and mm -hmm. uh it reminded me of a few scenes of Close Encounters. But mm -hmm. um, I'm looking at them, and that's the last thing I remember. And mm -hmm. then I remember waking up the next morning, 
and they're and coming out um, outside from the cab, the rough cabin we were that the family was working on, and uh, everyone was sitting around the campfire, having breakfast, drinking coffee, and talking about the comet they saw. Huh. So, being a five and a half year old, I thought comets just flew over cow pastures, and you know, huh. and and uh, so you know. I go, oh, wow, and now I've seen a comet. So the, wow. the next morning is Monday, and I'm going off to kindergarten. I think that's one of the reasons I remember this so well, because it was right at that time in my life whenever, you know, you started, you remember, you know, long, long bits of time. And uh, I asked my dad what he thought, of, wasn't that neat seeing the comet? And my dad said, I don't know what you're talking about. Huh. And so I, I just sort of dropped it, went off to kindergarten. Wow. And uh, so later on, you know, I'm I'm in high school and then going into college. And I still have this impression that comets are really big things that, you know, stop and everything else. And I knew from science books that that didn't make sense. And then I actually saw my first comet when I was, you know, in my teens or early 20s. And I remember how disappointed I was. I go, that's not big. That didn't have metal dripping off of it. And it, it's funny how I kept that, that not only that memory, but that understanding, despite the fact what I learned in science. Well, before you move on to anything else, I, I'd like to uh, tell you about a an encounter that was told to me by someone not, not really into the UFO world or whatever. It's just someone I know in the, the outside world. Um, she's actually an author of like antique books and things like that. And she was a uh, Girl Scout and they were on a, an island on a lake and they were camping out. They had the campfire going and they saw this thing come over them. She said it kind of looked like the size of the moon type of thing. And it came over them and then it appeared to be right over them. And she said the next thing she remembers, she woke up in the morning in her tent and uh, was asking, you know, like the, the different people, Hey, wh what about what we saw last night? And they said, they didn't remember, or they didn't know anything. And then to the, the leader, the girl scout leader said, don't you even think about talking about it? That's what she said to her. <laughs> so um, that was her impression. I mean, it, there is some similarities there. That's why I thought I'd bring it up. That was no, uh, it's good. It, it, exactly. You know, yeah. uh, about 12, 2012, 2013, I decided I was just going to sort of open up my mind and, and talk to people about this. And so I started going to conferences. And what I found is listening to the speakers was nice, but talking to other experiencers over there, ones that have had these experiences, I joined uh, Yvonne Smith's Oh yeah, CERO group, mm -hmm. uh, the Close Encounters Resource Organization. And I've learned more from other experiencers than I've learned from all the books and all the podcasts, no offense. But in fact, probably a lot of your listeners fit in the same category as me, you know. Um, yep. and, and you learn so much and, and you stop being surprised about similarities like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I do think it's funny. Uh, you hear a lot of people say either they don't talk about it the next day 
or uh, people don't remember, which is really, you know, I mean, it's such a, a dramatic, you know, situation. You know, I recently listened to the Allagash, um, oh, yeah, the Allagash incident. The two, uh, uh, it was uh, Jim Weiner and uh, Ch Charlie Fultz that were talking about it, and I got to meet them at that conference they were at. But I was listening to it again, and it's, it's basically the same thing. You know, it it happened to them, and they just like move on. And boy, that's strange. The fire had burned down, and if anyone wants to check out that case, it's a fascinating case, and. Eyes on Cinema on YouTube has posted the uh, conference that I was at where they spoke. It's very interesting. Um, their whole whole life, all four of them, their lives changed, and they never realize, realized they were abducted until, you know, 10 years after. But uh, their whole life's changed, and their artwork, they were all artists. Their artwork all changed dramatically and uh, since that encounter, which is another fascinating thing when people's lives change. Uh, Yvonne Smith has written a book called Coronado oh, yes. about a, a joint yeah. abduction. And yeah. the day after they all, the group left the conference and drove back to Los Angeles in different cars, they were meeting at a restaurant uh, up the coast towards LA. And they were most mostly irritated with each other and didn't want to talk about it. And a lot of them never talked to each other again. They were friends before. And so something drove them apart. How about that? Yeah. yeah. I remember her talking about that. I had her on the show years ago when uh, I think actually before she wrote the book or maybe about that same time. But uh, I, I know the hotel I used to go there when I lived in the Sandy in San Diego area uh, years ago. Beautiful, beautiful place. That was a strange encounter. That's another one to look up. Um, this is a uh, question we have uh, Dr. Richards in about every show. Thank you for the questions. Uh, do you have any theories about what the visitors are up to? I think my thinking is they're not here to take us over because let's assume, and I don't, I don't believe this is the case, but let's assume they got here in World War II when the Foo Fighters started showing up. You know, if you're going to attack somebody, you don't wait 80 years till they get better able to defend themselves. And so yeah. I yeah. don't I don't think they're out to overtly do that. But I, I think it's a mixed bag. My guess is a mixed bag of different entities from different locations, perhaps mm -hmm. not all from this dimension. And uh, mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. that some of them mean well, and others are probably just uh, in my, in my uh, book, Threat to the Body Politic, in the last chapter, I talk about there are probably four different, ca <coughs> excuse me, there are probably four different categories. There's a, because I'm right, that book I wrote, to inform Congress and they don't have the knowledge of your listener base. You know, mm -hmm. they're learning this from scratch. Right. And so the first possibility is hostility. And I, I don't, for the reason I said, I don't think they're hostile in that regard. The next is transactional that they're here for resources, just like, you know, Chevron goes to uh, Nigeria to, you know, to drill for oil. 
You know, they're doing that kind of thing. And that's one possibility. Some of them could just be here for purely transactional purposes. And possibly the abduction program is that. Uh, and the hybridization program. Um, then there could be, it could be uncaring, a third category, that they're just here to observe because we've got nuclear weapons and we're trying to launch into space. And so, you know, wouldn't you want to keep an eye on the local um, civilization like that? And then mm. the third is that they're, that they're, um, positive and uh, a fourth is that they're positive and if, if they were are they really going to just show up and say hey we're here hi you know no they're not there are probably protocols in place to keep societies like ours from not going through the right steps and uh, you know just you don't hand you don't hand people, you know, in the Middle Ages, nuclear weapons. Yeah. You know, you don't give them machine guns. You know, mm. you don't, you know, if we were to go back in time. So they would, you know, I'm not just taking this from Star Trek. I really think there has to be some sort of ground rules that, that civilizations have when they approach a society like ours. Because you want them to develop naturally where they're not just going to be given something ahead of time and jump into space and start trying to take over other planets. And, and uh, you know, once you achieve that nuclear stage, see, notice that all, you know, the biggest portion of uh, our understanding of UFOs comes from the 1940s on. And so mm -hmm. what were we doing then? We're putting together a nuclear weapon. And so, even if they're supportive of us, I would think that they would sit back and wait. And that's what they've been doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, this, there hasn't there hasn't been a lot of uh, interference. You know, uh, that is a question a lot of people ask, you know, like, um, what? why don't they show themselves, you know, show themselves on the White House lawn, blah, blah, blah. You hear that all the time, things like that. Um, and... You know, I think there's definitely fears involved here. Like, what do they want? Uh, you know, why are they even here to begin with? You know, that type of thing. Uh, whatever they are. And I, I, I think you're right, too. I don't I, I don't think it's one just one type of situation, one type of entity, whatever that is showing up here. I think it could be uh, a lot of different things. And, you know, there's there's always the argument from skeptics that they could never get here. It's, it's too far to travel and all that. But um, obviously whatever is getting here has figured out how to get here wherever they're from. You know, um, there's just too many things that have been witnessed to say otherwise, you know, at, at this point. So, uh, so how do you think the government's been handling the situation um, that's a schizophrenic answer. Um, I'm expectedly disappointed in the defense and intelligence community. Um, but I'm very happy with how Congress has handled this. 
-hmm. know, until this last year, you haven't had a lot of pushback. And the, the recent pushback, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but when was the last time you ever heard Congress passing laws three years in a row on the same subject? Hmm. They usually they usually get it done in one year. And if it, you know, and I've, I've worked on legislation for years. What you do is you put together a package to address whatever the issue is. It takes compromises. You finally put it together. Everyone's happy. You pass it. You cut the ribbon. You know, you you have your, you know, congratulations. Then you move on to the next topic mm-hmm. here. You know, occasionally you'll bring back like curative legislation, it's called, where you made a mistake. Mm-hmm. But both in the Trump administration and the Biden administration, you did not have overt pushback of the of the Congress on mm. the these issues. The pushback came from below. And mm. so look at it this way. I think, you know, right now, you know, the Trump administration, the actual presidential, the office of the president, uh, didn't really push back to this. Uh, and then when Biden came in, uh, you don't have the same kind of pushbacks. He signed all the bills. Uh, in the first bill, he issued a signing statement that said that the National Defense Authorization Act of 2022, adopted in 2021, they always do it a year ahead of the fiscal year, um, that particular signing statement pointed to the Defense Act, which is a massive bill, and said, we're going to comply with requests for information from Congress as long as it doesn't reveal battle plans or the names of um, confidential sources or that kind of thing. But he never applied it to... uh, UFOs. In fact, none of the examples they listed, they were all about the Afghanistan war and the Iraq war, uh, mm-hmm. and also Central Command and their their battle plans for some reason. But nothing about UFOs. And so, you, you know, you've got jo- uh, Joe Biden, who's a Senate guy. I mean, that's his that's his foundation is the Senate, and you've got. Pretty much the leading group on this has been the Select Committee on Intelligence in the ha- in the Senate, mm-hmm. and they've been passing out this legislation on seventeen to zero votes. I mean, they can't agree that the sun is coming up tomorrow. Yeah, is, I know a unanimous yeah. vote. You know, and so we're we're talking about a unique window here where. As long as it stays bipartisan, we could make tremendous progress. I mean, we've made, they've made more progress in the last five years than they've made in the last 80. Hmm. And so, you know, you've got a core of people. And and the interesting thing is if it was just the national security people, you're going to have senators or congressmen, they're going to vote no on the bill. Because, or try to take out the UFO stuff because they think it's crazy. Nobody mm-hmm. did that until, yeah. you know, this recent thing here. You, you don't have that. So, you know, when you're talking about, you know, 
especially the defense and intelligence committees. Uh, they're bipartisan. You know, they have people from both parties. And so, you know, if you're a rank and file congressman and you're trying to figure out what about this UFO bill in, in the National Defense Authorization Act, and so they're going to ask one of their colleagues that's, you know, from their party that agrees with them. You know, if you're a Republican, you're going to ask Mike Gallagher. Mm -hmm. Why do you have this crazy stuff in here? He'd say, leave it alone. Mm. I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, they're going to there's They know so much more than they're telling us right now while they're still because they're still trying to figure it out. They can't tell us at every stage. But there yeah. comes a point they're going to have to tell us. Yeah. And it, probably what my suggestion uh, is that they do internal briefings on each step. Yes, they're real. Yes, they're from someplace else. No, they're not from Russia. No, they're not from China. They're from yeah. someplace else. And then next step, do another set of briefings. Yeah, but they, they've been doing that since 1947, though. You know, with the twining uh, memo and, you know. Oh, I agree. Uh, this is not fictitious. This is real. It's not visionary. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it keeps in and, and again in 53, 50, right after the 52 UFO flap, um, you know, they came out again and basically saying it's real, uh, you know, but they got it. I guess they have to reinforce that. So. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, continue on. I just oh no 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 no. That's an excellent point. Uh, in 1955, Senator Richard Russell, who the Russell Office Building is named after, was on a train going from Russia to uh, Czechoslovakia on a on a mission, you know, for the for the Senate, you know, an investigation tour, and. Uh, a classic Billy Meyer UFO flew by the plane and a Russian official came in and shut all the, the curtains. Mm -hmm. So there were press in the car, in the train car. And uh, so later they, you know, it got out what happened. And so a lot of people were asked questions. And so one of a reporter asked Richard Russ, Senator Russell about it. And he said, uh, I've been advised by the, you know, parts of the government that are working on this, and it is best not for me to talk about it now. Hmm. Okay, that was 1955. The yeah. Senate until mm -hmm. 2017, 18, it wasn't talking about it at all. And so, you know, this to me, that's the difference between now and back then. Sure, is you have you have Congress that is interested in it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you're a whistleblower, are you going to blow the whistle if there's no one going to back you up? Mm. Well, now we've got someone that's backing them up. And so I know Robert Salas has is, is already uh, spoken to Arrow about his incident, the yes. Maelstrom UFO incident. Yeah. And it galls me because Sean Kirkpatrick comes out after he retires and says, there's no evidence. No firsthand you know, witnesses. Yeah, and, and and he and Sean Kirkpatrick talked to Bob Salas. I know he did, and same as I, I brought this up many times in the show that also someone that's been on the show. I'm a friend with is Mario Woods, who had oh yes, 
talked uh, four hours to them, you know, yeah. four hours to be exact, four hours and 19 minutes. He always puts that in. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, firsthand witness again. Uh, yeah. So no firsthand witnesses, no evidence. Um, yeah. So, so I think Arrow was just is just window dressing. You know, we'll see, though. Uh, maybe the under new leadership, it'll be different, but I, I don't have any real hopes for it. Well, we'll find out in June of 2024 when they release and they, well, they won't release it on time because they haven't released anything on time yeah. uh, since Arrow took over. But uh, whenever they release the history of UFO uh, information, uh, then we'll know whether they're, they're, uh, serious actors or not but see yeah. you can come forward now and you know Dave Grush and there are many others besides him that have come forward that we don't know oh, yeah. about yet yeah. and uh, so they they have to educate themselves because if they tried to do this if the Republicans tried to do this alone or the Democrats the other side's going to go you're crazy you know they're going to, they've got to do it together. And considering the political environment we're in, it's difficult to do things together. Yeah. And so they've, they've got to figure out a way. And so my goal has been, uh, well, I haven't worked in Congress myself. I've worked with elected officials and, and, and for decades and sit down with them and how do you want to do this? Well, if you do it that way, you know, you're going to, it's all going to fall apart. But mm -hmm. if you try this, maybe it'll work. And, you know, I'm not always right, but uh, I, I see a process that needs to unfold. And so besides my book, I've been writing a series. I've started a series of blog about how they should release, uh, how they should start the disclosure process. And uh, I, I'll, like the book, I'll package it up and and send it to Congress. And, uh, you know, if I'm wrong and there's a better way to do it, then that's what they have staff for. And they, yeah. have, they have good staff on this. They have a few staff members that are handling this, and they will go unsung. And they, you know, without them, no, you know, Marco Rubio and Mark Warner, the two heads of uh, – the Senate Intel Committee would not be stepping forward. Mm -hmm. One of the things um, I've thought about this, and I don't know, I'm just trying to get your opinion on it, is that I think they don't know the whole picture. And because they don't know the whole picture, then they can't say that they can protect us from it. Right. Whatever it is. And so that's why I think disclosure is going to be very difficult for our government to actually come all out and say, look, we are being visited and we don't know exactly what it is. Um, so I, I don't know, you know, I don't know if, uh, if, if we'll ever get to that point because, um, you know, it's, it's only my opinion, but I don't really think they know the whole picture. Oh, I agree with you on that. They're learning the picture hmm. and they're learning the picture, but, uh, what we don't know is how much they've learned of the puzzle. Like I said at the beginning, yeah. it's an onion. And yeah. my guess is they're on layer five of 40. And I'm hoping we can keep this going till they get to layer 40 so they can do it all. You know, but I agree with you. They're, you know, if 
if if they don't know if they're worried about hostility, they're not going to bring it out. Yeah, especially. That's right. Yep. This uh, just put up a couple of questions here. Has the disclosure act been watered down? Yes. Uh, yeah, quite a bit actually. Yeah, quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, Tim Burchett's done an awful lot for UFO uh, disclosure, but when you compared his bill in the House to the uh, Mike Rounds, uh, Chuck Schuber bill in the Senate, I mean, it, it's it's a qualitative difference. And so uh, near the end of the session last year, Chuck Schumer and Mike Rounds both came on the floor at the same time uh, and talked about their bill that wasn't part of the package. And in a colloquy back and forth, which of the likes I've never seen of Republicans and Democrats, they, uh, they both said that they're going to press forward and try in this year to uh, get it adopted. And the difference between the two bills is that uh, under the House version, the uh, a lot of the power for this is left with the agencies themselves that hold the records. When you have an independent commission that is uh, vetted and uh, uh, chosen by the entire Senate, you're going to have a better chance with this independent group considering now this, uh, I'll, you can, you can yell at me and I'll stop, but uh, talk a little bit about the legal stuff. The standard in the bill is that uh, an independent group must be convinced by clear and convincing evidence that the records should stay secret, clear and convincing evidence is the highest civil standard there is. It's not beyond a reasonable doubt in the criminal setting, but it takes a hell of a lot of evidence, uh, you know, to be able to say that. So, you know, if there are, you know, breakthroughs on, you know, propulsion or, you know, you don't, we don't also turn over nuclear weapons, how to make those, yeah. you know. So those should stay, you know, uh, you know, as classified as possible. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the fact that, you know, pictures like the one you showed of Rex Heflin took, yeah. you know, those need to be released. Um, NDAs, if the if Bob Sala says I'll waive my privacy rights and you can release the NDA, then it's released. You know, mm -hmm. you don't give the military the chance to to say no first And this commission would have done that. And uh, just by the fact that it was a bill by Mike Rounds, you know, a, a, a quality senator, you know, high up in the ranks of the Republican side, and Chuck Schumer. I cannot remember the last time a majority leader or minority leader in either house actually sponsored a bill. You don't see Nancy Pelosi's name on bills. And Chuck Schumer did this himself. That is, that doesn't get, that means that Biden didn't have a problem with it because mm. the, the, 
the Democratic leader of the Senate would not put a bill out that makes the president look bad of his own hmm. party. And I never, so never it, thought of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and so in the combination, Chuck Schumer or uh, uh, Mitch McConnell, when he started having some of his episodes, uh, you know, where he couldn't talk for a while, uh, he started delegating work. And uh, Mike Rounds ended up with the UAP portfolio on this. At least this is my outside reading. And Chuck Schumer and Mike Rounds are also uh, going to be the two point people for both parties in the Senate on AI. So look at that. You've got UFOs and AI. I mm -hmm. mean, can you think of two future things bigger than those two? And the same two guys on both sides of the aisle are working together. Yeah. Now yeah. they'll still argue about abortion and gun control and, you know, the border and all that. And, and we can't wish everyone to be kumbaya. But on this issue, you know, if you step out and you make a mistake, they're jumping off a bridge that they don't know where the bottom is. Hmm. It's better to do it together. <laughs> yeah. Than separately. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I, I was actually at the hearing uh, this last July and it was oh, wow. really very, I was the uh, second to last person in the door with my producer and uh, Chris Lito. Um, so we were all in there watching and it was really amazing to see, um, what is it? A AOC on one oh, side and Matt yeah. Gates on the other side and them all just getting along and discussing, you know, the topic and having, you know, it was, uh, a clear bipartisan, you know, uh, you know, issue that they were really looking and taking seriously and working together. So that was, uh, yeah, that was really a uh, very, I felt it was very historic. It was. And, and yeah. there wouldn't be another subject where it happened. I don't and, think so. And, you and know, so, there was, I, I've said this before in the show, there was over a thousand people that showed up for those 30 seats. And oh if I wasn't goodness. there at 540 AM, I would have never gotten in, you know, wow, you, you at 540 you're the last two people in. Yeah. Wow. But there were people that cut in front of us quite a few. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, certain <laughs> people. George Knapp, Jeremy Corbell, you know, people like that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, George is a true journalist, but uh yeah, yeah they should they should wait their turn. Uh yeah. But um except for Virginia Fox, a congresswoman from um, North Carolina, she bashed spent her five minutes bashing the Biden administration over the Chinese balloon incident. Oh but yeah. Besides that. I mean, it was amazingly bipartisan, mm -hmm. amazingly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you have to remember that's the committee, the Hunter Biden committee. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yep. You know, that's the like Biden crime family committee. Yet Chuck Schumer, when he put his bill together uh, with Mike Rounds, the overseer of that, the committee that would review the documents to see where they should be released the oversight by the House was the over, House Oversight Committee. So the most contentious committee on the other side was written into the bill in UFOs having oversight authority. Because if Matt Gates complained that they didn't have access to secrets, you know, at that hearing. 
And uh, the reason they didn't is because when they adopted the original bill in 2021, uh, they listed who the appropriate committees were to receive classified information. And they're up to 12, but oversight isn't on the 12th. So there are already almost 200 members of Congress out of the 535 that are on these committees. So you've got a core, you got about 40% of Congress already that are, are they may not all show up for all the hearings on this or the, the classified briefings, but you're talking about a big group of people. So it's not a question of, you know, educating everyone will take a year and a half. They can, they can spread out pretty quick and educate them. Uh, yeah. And when you start seeing briefings like that, you notice closures coming. Right. Uh, yeah, I hope so. I know that uh, Lou, Lou Elizondo had said 2024 is the big year, whatever that means. Well, I've, I've been communicating not with him, but directly, but with his wife. And uh, I know that uh, as soon as his new book comes out, he'll be uh, coming on podcasts again. And I would just oh, good. Would like to like to hear more of what he has to say. Um, so I'm going to shift gears a little bit and just, well, maybe, or maybe not. Have you ever had any other, you know, events, any other UFO sightings in your life? Or was that the, was that the one and only one? Uh, I've had dozens. Dozens. And, yes. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, unexplained. Um, pretty much all I, I've done regressions with Yvonne Smith yeah. and of only pulled out limited information, very little. Uh, she teases me that I'm a lawyer and I don't follow direction very well. <laughs> and uh, so that's probably, you know, my block has more to do, I think, with them than than us. But uh, I've, I've had my UF, you know, actual sightings, I've had a few, but frankly, some of the other paranormal behavior you know, stands out to me more like mm -hmm. uh, uh, in the last 15 years, you know, actually, yeah, about 15, 12 or 13 years, I'd say I've uh, as I started getting into this more, uh, I've had a couple of instances of missing time where mm -hmm. things uh, I've ended up uh, in in my hotel room in various times, twice in, for two significant times, where something has appeared in the room that sort of started between, you know, I'm laying in bed and it's between me and the, the area where the TV is, not, not from the TV, but where like a bubble sort of would form. And then I'd see visions. And uh, um, I had one when I was at the International UFO Conference in Arizona, where all of a sudden I wake up at about three o'clock and this greenish light is starting to form like thousands of tiny lights that merge into one and form sort of an oblong three-dimensional area it was sort of like a plasma or something. Hmm. And then from that, I actually saw images 
uh, first, the one that stood out, I could have reached out and touched it as I was sitting up. Um, it, it, I saw this like three foot uh, silver metallic domino sort of looking thing. And on the top, in base relief, it had a classic UFO with a, a line going down like a beam or something. And the second half of the domino had a DNA strand in it. And mm. but the DNA strand had hundreds, hundreds of DNA strands in it. And out of those strands popped like a symbol. And I just kept staring at that simple symbol. Trying try, I've got to remember this. I kept telling myself, I gotta remember this. Gotta remember this. And then all of a sudden the symbol disappeared and it went right out of my head. I just oh. Lost all knowledge. And so, you know, I'm totally disturbed. And then the whole thing shrinks down to nothing and leaves. Boy, uh, you hear that a lot, that something shrinks down to nothing yeah, and disappears. Listen, we're, we're just about out of time here. So, uh, and that was uh, quite a fantastic story to uh, end the show on. So where can people find you and uh, get a hold of you or, or at least uh, get your books? Uh, well, my books are available on Amazon for sure and starting to be available other, other places. Had had a few problems in production. Uh, but uh, I have a website, uh, jplufo.com. Excellent. That's well, right. We're post- out of time. I, okay. I'm sorry to say we're out of oh, time. Okay. I will link your website um, in the show notes and in the text below. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, I enjoyed it, Martin. All right. Take care. All right, everyone. Uh, we'll be back next week with Geo Turner. Um, he's in the UK and should be an interesting show. Thank you. And remember to keep your eyes to the sky.